Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are our hope. Thank you that you are our light and our comfort. We pray that for these next few moments as we continue in worship, that your spirit will be with us wherever we are, that you will speak to us, that you will encourage us, that you will challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, desperation is not a state that any of us would choose. Nobody would wake up one morning and say, you know, I wish my life were more desperate. No one would choose to live a desperate life. Nobody would choose to be the last person who is chosen for kickball. No one would choose the sweaty palms and the racing heart of wondering if you're going to get a date to the banquet. Nobody would choose to wait till your 23rd application to find out if you're going to get into the graduate school that you want. Nobody chooses desperation. In fact, given the choice, I think all of us would avoid desperation and the pain and the anxiety that comes with it. Miriam Webster says that desperation is when we are at an utter loss of hope. It's when we have reached a dead end. It's when we have no other choices and we're desperate. The Bible is replete with stories of people who have been desperate, stories of people who have hit dead ends and have seen no way out and have needed a way maker if they are going to make it through. In fact, some of these stories have been touched as we've gone through our sermon series for the spring, Waymaker. Thousands of people who are hungry and need to be fed. People in a boat who are in peril of their life and who are drowning. People who are leprous, people who are outcasts. People who have been afflicted for years with diseases that they cannot find a way through. A man's withered hand beyond recognition. A woman bleeding for 12 years. A child who is dead and all the while desperate. People at the end of their hope and people at the end of their rope. Nobody chooses desperation. All available choices have to be expended. All of your ideas and options have to be tried and have failed for you to reach that point of desperation. And if you have been through desperation in your life, you don't ever want to go back. Whether you went through desperation because you grew up in a time where you would sometimes go to bed hungry because your parents were unable to provide what you needed. Whether you have been through emotional turmoil that drove you to very dark places, desperation is not a choice any of us willingly make. And today I want to invite you to consider two stories with me. Two stories that look at desperation. One is desperation of food, and another is desperation of life itself. The two stories we're going to look at, uh, for the purposes of this sermon, one will be major and the other will be subordinate. Not in the sense that they are less important, but in the sense that we will be putting the focus on one of these stories more than the other. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have a phone, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. 
1 Kings chapter 17. That's in the Old Testament. So if you start from the front of your Bible and you page through to the right, you'll stumble in 1 Kings. If you have a phone, I'm sure you'll be able to find it without too much problem. This is a story that some of you, if you've grown up in church, may be familiar with, but nevertheless, it's a story which I think has much to say for all of us living today in the era that we are in and in the cultural moment that we are trying to navigate. It takes place in the 9th century BC, and we have as the main protagonist, Elijah, a prophet who finds himself in a religio-political hornet's nest, and he is in argument with someone who is significantly more powerful than him. We're going to read through 1 Kings chapter 17 together, and then we're going to make some observations. Beginning in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar, and see... I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. This story is an incredible story. And I'm sure that if you are reading this for the first time, you may have lots of questions, but we are finding Elijah here moving from one desperate situation to another. Prior to this story, Elijah has declared that there is going to be a famine. God has told him, Elijah, there will be a famine. And so he goes to a brook and God sends ravens to feed him. And then the brook dries and the ravens stop bringing him food. And God says, go to a widow in Zarephath and she will give you food. And so Elijah encounters in meeting this widow a case of acute desperation, a profound lack of resources. It is a case of going out of the frying pan into the fire. Sometimes God says things to us that seem to make no sense. But Elijah listens. And so he meets this widow, and when he meets this widow, he finds that she is in no position to care for him. She is on the brink of starvation, and she discloses that, in fact, not only is she on the brink of starvation, but she is gathering some sticks to prepare her final meal for herself and her son. She is microwaving the last frozen meal she has in her deep freeze for her son and her to eat before they die. 
And then Elijah, expecting food, instead finds scarcity. Expecting a provider, instead he finds a prisoner on death row waiting to expire. And this woman, this widow, this single mother, is in a precarious situation. She has known misery. She has lost her husband. This woman, young, if she still has a child who is dependent on her, perhaps in her 30s, no family around, now stands face to face with a representative of God, and she has an opportunity to exercise faith in the face of desperation. She's scared. And together with the poor, the foreigners, and orphans, widows can be characterized as persons, and this is Judith Butler, they can be characterized as persons who are in a state of precarity. Life is difficult. Judith Butler says this about widows. She says certain populations suffer from failing social and economic networks of support and become differentially exposed to injury, violence, and death. And widows would have been at the top of this list. And yet God has sent Elijah to this widow. As you read the story, you find that the widow trusts Elijah's God. And it's interesting because she is very specific in saying, Elijah, that's your God. It's not her God, it's Elijah's God. She does not claim to be a worshiper of Yahweh. That's Elijah's God. But she, she trusts Elijah's God, and God gives a miraculous provision that lasts for days. So that when she gives what she has, God multiplies it for herself, for her son, and for Elijah. Now, last week, we noted in our sermon that God does not need us to have perfect faith for him to work perfectly in our life, that we don't need to have everything together so that God can be moved to help us. And that was good news for me, and it was good news for a lot of you who are struggling to have faith so that you can get through desperate situations. But look at this text today. Not only does God not only require not require us to have perfect faith. We are meeting a foreigner who is not an Israelite, who in fact is probably worshiping Baal and who does not acknowledge or know Yahweh and God still uses her as a tool for salvation in the life of Elijah. God is able to use and to bless and to help people through situations who may even be unaware of him. And this, my friends, is good news for all of us who may be praying on behalf of family members and of friends who do not even claim the name of Jesus themselves. God does not limit himself only to those that believe in him to give help and to give succor. God helps this woman. And the story really ought to end very neatly here. But it doesn't. And this is just like life. Because often there are twists and turns, and being a follower and a disciple of the risen Christ is not always straightforward. Immediately following this story in 1 Kings 17, we find that the woman's son, that's right, this single mother, this widow, this person on the margins of society who has now experienced a miracle, rather than there being a disnification 
in this story, and they all go skipping into the sunset, and there is music and stars, we find that this woman's son gets sick. In fact, he gets so sick that he dies. Verse 17 says, there was no breath left in him. So this woman, this mother, who only a couple of verses earlier was too tired to continue making a living in a precarious situation. This woman, this mother, this widow, who expressed a death wish and was ready to give up, now all of a sudden when her son is in danger, something happens to her. Transformed by her encounter with Elijah, as well as strengthened by the steady supply of food provided by God, this widow, Julia uh, uh, Clazen says, this widow has found once more the will to live, not only for herself, but also for her son. And when I read the story, I think particularly this afternoon about those of you out there who are struggling as single mothers through this pandemic. Those of you who are struggling as single parents through this pandemic. Those of you who feel like it's only you and you have other dependents through this pandemic. Those of you who have struggled to be able to meet the ones you love because they are in care homes or in nursing homes through this pandemic. Those of you who feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, this story is hope for you. And so, Julia tells us about this mother, this strong woman, and none of us would need me to convince them of the strength of our mothers. All of us can think of stories and occasions where we were shocked by the strength and the fortitude and the emotional abilities of our mothers to do things that we never knew they were able to do. In fact, this has been categorized as hysterical strength, and it sounds negative, but listen to the definition. Hysterical strength. This is a display of extreme strength by humans beyond what is believed to be normal, usually occurring when people are in life and death situations. Common anecdotal examples are of mothers lifting vehicles to rescue their children, and this extra strength is commonly attributed to increased adrenaline production. And so this widow of Zarephath, aided by God, aided by Elijah, aided by food, has a shot of adrenaline in her as she has gone from being on death row, microwaving her last frozen meal and waiting to die, to now having the strength to countermand God and to speak on behalf of her dependent son. And she speaks, and the words are difficult to hear. She challenges Elijah, whom she addresses as the man of God. She says, Elijah, was it you that brought death to my house? I thought you were coming to save me. She challenges Elijah, and she asks Elijah if he can make a difference. And God steps into the situation. He doesn't chastise Elijah. He doesn't chastise the widow. Instead, God reveals himself. God responds by revealing his true self. He takes their pain seriously. And we find that God instructs Elijah to 
put himself on top of the young boy and spread himself wide in a posture of giving absolutely everything as a representative of God in a dire and desperate situation. And Elijah sees a great miracle worked as God resurrects the child. The E, the NRSV, puts it beautifully in 1 Kings 17, 22. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Elijah shows us this wonderful image of a God who heals in conjunction with a God who feeds. And I'm sure today there are many of us who are begging and pleading for that same God today. Asking for a God who can heal, asking for a God who can feed, asking for a God who can be a way maker when all other systems have failed us. Asking for a God who can bring clarity and who can bring hope as we watch from the federal to the state to the local level uh, squabbles and information coming, which perhaps for many of us does not give us hope, but brings anxiety to our doors. We see a God who can heal. We see a God who can feed. And this confession that the widow says of Elijah, you are the man of God, tells me something. And I hope it tells you something that we all, those who claim to be followers of the risen Christ, to be apprentices of Jesus, that we are to actively work for ways in which we can resist and counter forces that are death-dealing, that we can have our eyes open and our ears open to those who are like that widow and who need help, that we can partner with God in impeding the forces which seek to strip life away, which strip hope away. And it is significant for me in this story as we uh, think about this today, that Elijah is sent by God in the midst of a desperate and precarious situation, fleeing for his life with no food and no shelter. And nevertheless, Elijah recognizes that in the middle of a desperate situation, in the middle of a famine, he still has the opportunity to act as an ambassador for God for those who are more desperate than he is. That he can be the hands and feet on earth just as we can. And together, these desperate people are able to care well for themselves. Now, you should not go off your notes. I'm going to divert just for one hot second. We see people desperate in our country. And that desperation comes out in different ways for different people. There are people who are writing op-eds asking for certain things. There are people who are ready to protest certain things. And no judgment ought to be cast on them because this is a complex situation. But what I am seeing are people acting out of desperation because they don't have hope. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, Elijah gives us a way, a better way forward. He gives us a way forward that is rooted in trust in God. He gives us a way forward that in exceedingly desperate situations, we can still care for one another well. 
that it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, that we can care for one another well, even in the midst of desperation, in the midst of uncertainty. And I think this is a great example of Judith Butler's point that individuals and groups who lead a precarious existence, that's me and you right now, that we should be able to work together to form alliances and show solidarity for one another's plight, to work together for the common good. And you know, as I uh, read this story and I thought about the single mothers, I thought about the widows, I thought about those who are working on behalf of those who are dependent. I thought about my own mother. I thought about my own mother who, when I was still barely a dependent, became a single mother and a widow herself. And when I reflect on those um, very hazy and foggy but painful moments of my life, and I think about my mother, and I can transpose her into this story with the widow, looking after a dependent child, I think about those who came alongside and who were able to help. And this, for me, tells me about the beauty of our community as followers of Jesus. We don't always do things perfectly. We often make mistakes. We hurt people. But at our best, we are like Elijah. We come alongside the widows and the orphans and the hungry. We come alongside the desperate. We come alongside who are in, people who are in famine. And that is what happened for my own mother. The church community, along with my family, but the church community came together. They made sure she did not want or lack for anything. They were with her like Elijah was with that widow. And God blessed their effort and their common effort allowed her to move from being a widow who was hopeless, who was grieving, to be able to know that there was a future that she could go into. And you know, we shouldn't toot our own horn, but I cannot help but to reflect on the announcement that was made earlier by Daryl Bigger about this effort which happened this week in conjunction with the school district of College Place, in conjunction with the high school students of College Place High, in conjunction with Wava and with Rogers, in conjunction with you, where you helped people who were in literal famine, who did not have enough food to have enough food, even though some of you are losing your jobs, even though some of you have had 10% pay cuts, you still gave in the middle of your desperation. And for that, we bless God. We thank God that we can be part of a community that does not turn inward when we are desperate, but can still be generous and turn outward on behalf of other people. And you know, we're going to finish today with another story from our community. And this story that you are about to hear, this interview, is with one of our own members who shares a time when he himself hit a dead end, when he didn't see a way through, and someone came to him, took him under his arm, and helped to take him through. And I pray that as we listen to this together, we might be encouraged that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus and be waymakers through desperate situations.
Today, I'm joined by Grayson Ingersoll, who is a part of our community. Many of you may know him because he plays in various bands and he's a gifted musician. But Grayson, beyond playing music, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm a full-time engineering student here at Walla Walla University. Uh, my discipline is mechanical engineering. Uh, I am... Uh, I work for a company called Noble Panels and Gates, and, mm-hmm. and they manufacture equine equipment. And I uh, help CAD draft and project manage over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm married. I also have uh, five kids, so we have a pretty big family. Right. Wonderful. Um, and when we started our series of uh, Waymaker, talking about the way God moves in our lives in situations that seem really difficult and sometimes improbable. I had asked for stories and you said you had a story of how God had worked in your life in an improbable way. Would you mind sharing that with us, Grayson? I would love to. Um, As a uh, engineering student, pretty early on, uh, I switched over actually from a welding degree to a engineering degree. And the engineering degree has a lot more mathematics to it than the welding degree would. And so I started down the path of getting my prerequisites done. And there was one that was a a particularly challenging hurdle for me. It it comes at kind of a challenging time uh, in life for me with some pretty big transitions and Um, So I think on one part, it it was pretty emotionally challenging, but then the academic challenge was pretty challenging. (laughs) I I took this class uh, from this professor. It it was his last quarter with a new book, and I think that was a pretty big challenge for him, but I ended up not passing that class. Mm. And so I ended up trying to take the class a second time. And with the second teacher, um, I ended up not passing the class a second time time but I really really liked this teacher and I really liked being in his class yes and so I signed up for a third time around now third time around I'm going okay God I think you've called me to this but I've got a long road ahead and this is a pretty big roadblock to hit right off the bat Mm -hmm. and uh, I register for the class start showing up for class and a couple days in um, I'm I received notice that I couldn't get funding for the class at all because hmm. I passed it technically with a with a D before, and so this would this would put a halt to it. And so I went to this teacher and I, I told him my situation. I said, you know, I, I I can't get funded for this for this mm-hmm. next class. And he said, Well, you're going to give up that easily. Wow. And I said well, no, I don't think I'm going to give up, but I don't know what else to do. And he said, well, if it's really just about funding, I will find you the money and you keep showing up to class. Come back to me in two days. Wow. So two days later, I come back and he says, I I found you the funding. Go talk to this person, sign uh, sign this piece of paper for this particular grant, and it'll cover the cost of the class. Oh, wow. And so... I took the class and and passed it hmm. and passed every single one of those classes after that wow. the class I was in with him and it was improbable that you would have a teacher 
lecture who's looking at a student who failed twice yes to fund them for a class a third time yes and the other improbable thing i guess for my for me on my end it's incredible is um i was running into some challenging stuff with my dad and i didn't really feel like i had a dad i was really wrestling with my relationship with god mm. and god goes well I'm a father to the fatherless and you need an academic father. Wow. So here is this man who's been an academic father in my life, somebody who's inspired me. Mm. God got me through financially and put a very influential person in my life. Wow. Wow. What a story um, that God was able to take care of your financial needs and God was able to bring someone in your life to help you um, emotionally as well. Um, yep. I'm so grateful for your vulnerability and for sharing this story. I'm sure there's going to be someone listening today who is going to take hope from the fact that God can work improbably um, for our physical needs and also for our emotional needs. Thank you so much, Grayson, for sharing. God bless you. Um, and thank you again for, for sharing a piece of your life with us and with this community. Thank you. Thank you. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.